Welcome to the new BYP Podcasts. to make a new series of podcasts that are not just the audio from my videos, but these will be separate podcasts, audio only. And I'm going to focus on the deepest question. This series of podcasts is going to explore God. I'm going to begin with the Mormon God because, of course, the majority of us were or are still Mormon, and we have a lot of questions. And this is an enigmatic, a confusing, and a contradictory subject within Mormonism, and that is what I seek to explore. I believe that new knowledge, new analysis, is necessary in order to come to a better understanding of this wild and weird, and yet, oddly enough, potentially spiritually upbuilding subject. So I'm going to keep these podcasts to about 25 minutes to 40 minutes. And so let's jump right on this. This will be my introduction podcast, so this one won't be as long but I have a boatload of materials that I would like to share with you on the historical issues in dealing with God, the scriptural issues in dealing with God, and the philosophical issues in dealing with God within Mormonism. I'm going to start off from Thomas Riscus, Deconstructing Mormonism. This was the book that really basically broke my shelf. It is quite a difficult book to understand all the way through, however, but his opening uh, few pages are really interesting and easy to understand. We turn now to the pre-1990 version of the educational film presented as part of the Mormon Temple Endowment Ceremony. And this is where the sectarian minister, I'm sure we remember him, who is in the employ of Satan and who represents all other theistic religions and admittedly teaches the orthodox religion, he asks the man Adam if he believes that God is that great spirit without body, parts, or passions, whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere who fills the universe, and yet is so small that he can dwell in your heart. Adam, and he, remember, represents at once the biblical Adam and the prophet Joseph Smith and all of God's elect and foreordained adult male children. He responds to such teaching by saying these words, I cannot comprehend such a being. To me, it Such a teaching is a mass of confusion. Adam is warned of damnation, and then he's pitied by the sectarian minister, and later he's commended by a true messenger from God who agreed with Adam's assessment, and then proceeded in the film to cast out Satan and convert the sectarian minister to the true God and gospel of Mormonism. 
The clear implication here is that to Mormons, the God of the Orthodox religion is false and incoherent, a non-reality. It's unworthy of rational belief. Well, later in the film, three apostolic messengers, Peter, James, and John, stand in the presence of two divine beings, and they are in heaven together. The beings are Elohim, God the Father, and Jehovah, Jesus the Christ. These two embodied male gods with white hair and beards and clothed in white robes, they direct the three messengers to go down to earth and visit the man Adam in the lone and dreary world. The three messengers go down to Adam, and Peter tells him that they are true messengers from the Father, come down to give him further light and knowledge. And so Adam asks Peter, well, how shall I know you are true messengers? To which Peter replies, by our giving you the token and sign you received in the Garden of Eden. At no time in the film or in the prior or the subsequent versions of the temple endowment drama or ceremony, do these or other true messengers from the Father share the true meaning of God with Adam, except through the images of the purely anthropomorphic male gods Elohim and Jehovah as they interact with Peter, James, and John at a place somewhere in the heavens that is transcendent to the world in which Adam himself dwells. Now, instead of offering Adam the token and sign, let's level the playing field a bit and let's imagine having Peter referring to Mormon doctrine found in the standard works, that is, the canonized scriptures, of the Mormon church, and the teachings and writings of the prophets and apostles of the Mormon church. Let's have Peter ask him this question with the Mormon view in mind. Do you believe in a revealed God, one who is the one supreme and absolute being and the supreme governor and ultimate source of the universe, who is an infinite, eternal, self-existent, and independent spirit and intelligence of the highest order, housed in an immortal, bloodless body of flesh and bones, in the form of a man, and animated by spirit element, who is temporal and finite, as a transcendent, perfected, procreated, and resurrected spirit, being with body parts and spiritual passions, yet eternal as an independent, self-existing intelligence and infinite in knowledge, power, wisdom, and dominion, who physically dwells on a celestial planet in another plane of existence and therefore transcends this world in space and time, yet who is everywhere and fully present in and through this world and all things in this world by the light and the power of his spirit, which emanates from his material being to fill the immensity of space... Now, what might Adam say if this was the first time he was exposed to such a representation of God? Or what, for that matter, might 
an objective, unindoctrinated, rational, and open-minded adult with a well-rounded higher education and without any belief in a God say or think about such a concept of God? Would such a doctrinal concept of God likely be more or less confusing to Joseph Smith as the young boy in Manchester, Ontario County, in New York, prior to receiving his alleged first vision? This is a particularly interesting question, given the fact that in Joseph Smith's own words, as recorded in the canonized version of his history, his mind was already called up to serious reflection and great uneasiness about the diverse and conflicting teachings about God, and those were given by the various Protestant sects vying for new converts. Well, is this concept of the Mormon God any more comprehensive than the sectarian God or any less confusing? Or are both gods equally incoherent? In this book, I argue that the only rational response a seriously reflective skeptical outsider could give regarding such an allegedly revealed doctrinal representation of the Mormon God is the same one given by Adam in the Mormon temple film regarding the theological God of Orthodox Christian religion. Such a response could only be, I cannot comprehend such a being. To me, this Mormon God is a mass of confusion. The Mormon radio host Van Hale in 1985 wrote an article for the Sunstone Symposium called Defining the Mormon Doctrine of Deity. I have his reprint as the Mormon Miscellaneous Reprint Series number 6. For centuries, Christians have attempted to codify, to clarify, and classify history's many divergent doctrines of God. This process has consisted of answering a number of questions. Who is God? Who is the Son? Who is the Holy Ghost? Who is Jesus? Who is the Word? Who is the Father? How are they one? How are they distinct? While other Christians, and I'm picking and choosing, I can't read this whole thing to you, uh, but I've picked some of the highlights to show the problematic nature of this enterprise. While other Christians have an array of terms to describe their concept of the Almighty, there is no commonly recognized term to define the Mormon doctrine of deity. For instance, when we get to the term monotheism, is Mormon doctrine monotheistic? Etymologically, monotheism means, of course, one God, mono, one, theism, God. But since the term one God is subject to some interpretation, still many differences exist. Now, one attempt to define Mormonism as monotheistic was that made by Bruce R. McConkie, who states in Mormon Doctrine that monotheism, when properly interpreted, means that the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost each of whom is a separate and distinct godly personage or one god, meaning one godhead. That's page 463 in McConkie. Well, this, however, is redefining monotheism, and it does not account for the fact that Mormonism teaches the existence of gods who are not the Father, the Son, or the Holy Ghost. 
Such a redefinition would only confuse or mislead those who understand the term as it is commonly used. That is, to refer to the belief in one lone supreme personal being without superiors, equals, or even any others of the same nature. The value of a term is destroyed if it must be redefined in order to use it. So here we see a Mormon apostle redefining a theological term in order to Mormonize it, and as such, he destroys the actual meaning of the term. And we will find through this series of podcasts that I'm producing now, this is going to happen again and again and again. Well, another way to define Mormonism as monotheistic is, of course, by Orson Pratt and B.H. Roberts, two very great early Mormon theologians. They believed in an impersonal power, or attributes, which is the, quote, divine nature, unquote, shared by all who are gods. This divine nature Roberts called the God of all other gods. This approach suggests that this impersonal force, or set of attributes, is the one true God, thus making Mormonism monotheistic. This was found in the BYU Studies, Volume 15, page 289, and in Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, Volume 13, Number 2, page 11. Well, however, this point of view has not been very popular among Mormons, and it was actually strongly denounced by Brigham Young and other church authorities in 1860. In addition, this approach represents another misapplication of monotheism, which would mislead those with a traditional understanding of the term. And isn't this one of the Christian arguments about talking with Mormonism? And Mormons, they say we talk past each other because the terms Mormonism use that are also familiar with the Christians, they have redefined it for their own purposes. So, also, it has been argued that in its early stages, Mormonism was monotheistic. For example, early Mormon scriptures not only declare Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to be one God, D&C 20.27.28 and Alma 11.44, but they also state that Jesus and the Father are identical. That is, Jesus was the Father come in the flesh. And that's Mosiah 7.27, and Mosiah 15.1-5, and Ether 4, verse 12. In addition to, there are several statements in early Mormon scriptures which deny the existence of more than one God. For instance, in the Book of Mormon, Amulek tells Zizron that there is not more than one God, and explains that the Son of God is the very eternal Father. That's Alma 11, 26-39. And Van Hale says, Compare Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, 17-19, and Moses 1 and 6. Joseph Smith's interpretation of his early teachings in 1844, he said, that I wish to declare I have always and in all congregations when I have preached on the subject of the deity, it has been the plurality of the gods, and yet we've just seen that that is not true. Um, he had a different concept of deity in the early days. The uh, other passages of early scriptures do not support this contention of a simple monotheism, 
For instance, in 3 Nephi, throughout the entire book, of course, there is a clear distinction made between the Father who is in heaven and the Son who is on earth. 3 Nephi 11, 6-8, and 32, chapter 15, 1, 18, and 19, etc. So, it's very interesting how Joseph Smith himself appears to be confused on this subject. It's been preached by the elders for 15 years. I've always declared God to be a distinct personage, Jesus Christ a separate and distinct personage from God the Father, and that the Holy Ghost was a distinct personage and a spirit. Now, he said that in the History of the Church, Volume 6, page 474, but that is not what he had in the fifth lecture of faith that used to be in the scriptures of the Doctrine and Covenants, but they have since excised it suppressed it, perhaps. From the last several years of Joseph Smith's life to the present, then, it would be misleading to call Mormon doctrine monotheistic, is the conclusion here. Well, in contrast, Mormon doctrine teaches the existence of many gods, as opposed in the polytheistic term, not in the sense of many contending gods, some as good and some are bad gods, no, but rather in the sense of many divine beings of impeccably moral character, and they work in perfect unity for a common end. So we can understand, then, that virtually the only ones applying the term polytheism to the LDS Church are its active opponents, and they are actually less frequently less interested in accurately explaining its doctrine than in harnessing it with an offensive negative term, according to Van Hale. So it seems only fair to allow a religious body to reject any descriptive terms which it finds unacceptable. And a term acceptable to Mormons is plurality of gods. Well, this phrase conveys the doctrine of many gods without polytheism's connotations of many sordid beings. Okay, we can grant that. Well, Joseph Smith, on the other hand, did confess belief that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost constitute three distinct personages and three gods. He said that in the History of the Church, Volume 6, page 474. This tritheism may be a valuable term for discussing Mormon doctrine. It is both simple and it's transparent. And although it was simple and transparent and created by opponents of the idea, it does not carry polytheism's offensive connotation. However, it does have the limitation of referring only to the number of gods in the Godhead, and it does not acknowledge the existence of any other gods. And my side note is, you'll remember Orson Pratt in many of his writings talked about the multiple millions, if not billions, of extra gods of men who have become exalted. So, back to Van Hale on henotheism. Well, henotheism is defined as the worship of one god while acknowledging, or at least not denying, the existence of other gods. So, initially, this term seems to have promising application for Mormonism, especially in light in this statement from Joseph Smith's last public discourse, 16th of June, 1844, where he said, Paul says there are gods many and lords many. I want to set it forth in a plain and simple manner, but to us there is but one God, that is, pertaining to us. I say there are gods many and lords many, but to us only one and we are to be in subjection to that one. 
Well, Mormonism then, while proclaiming the existence of many gods, has never advocated the worship of them. Worship is directed solely to the god pertaining to us. On the flip side, however, it's important to understand the background of henotheism. The term was invented by the 19th century German scholar Max Muller, and what he was referring to is what many scholars believed was the faith of early Israel. It denotes the worship of a god who is confined to one geographical area. For example, it has been claimed that originally Jehovah was believed to be the god of Sinai, whose jurisdiction did not extend to Canaan, which was another god's territory. Well, this specific use of the term renders it inappropriate for use in defining Mormon doctrine. Now, while the basic concept is similar to Mormonism, henotheism would not accurately communicate Mormon beliefs to those familiar with the terms. What about binitarian? The term binitarian was coined in 1890, and this refers to some early Christian theologians who believed in two persons in the Godhead. While the term clearly does not describe Mormon doctrine since the 1840s, there is, however, one important doctrinal statement which does appear to have a strong binitarian emphasis. The Lectures on Faith, which appeared in all editions of the DNC from 1835 to 1921, states that there are two personages who constitute the great matchless governing and supreme power over all things. They are the Father and the Son. Elsewhere it instructs, how many personages are there in the Godhead? Two, the Father and the Son. The lecture goes on to teach that these two personages possess the same mind, which mind is the Holy Spirit. And these constitute the Godhead and are one. While this lecture does not present the Holy Ghost as a spirit being, a doctrine clearly taught a few years later. The Father and Son are personal. The Holy Spirit is impersonal. I believe there is value in using the term binitarian in reference to the doctrine of this particular lecture. So, about the year A.D. 200, a modelist named Praxius was teaching that, as Tertullian records, the Father himself came down into the Virgin and was himself born of her, himself suffered, and indeed was himself Jesus Christ. That's in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume 3, page 597. Well, this concept, that Jesus was the Father, took upon himself flesh by birth, and suffered for mankind, seems to be taught in several Book of Mormon passages, interestingly enough. Mosiah 7.27, Mosiah 13.34, 15 verses 1 through 5, 16 verse 15, the Book of Ether 3 verse 14, and chapter 4 verses 7 through 12. Well, before concluding that modelism is the term to define Book of Mormon doctrine, it must also be recognized that the book contains a number of other passages which contradict the oneness which is demanded by modelism. Modalism, I've heard it. Modelism, I've heard it. 
3 Nephi 11, 6 through 8, 32, chapter 15, 1, 18 and 19, chapter 18, 27, chapter 26, verse 2, and finally 3 Nephi chapter 26, verse 5 and 15. So, while there may be value in using the term modalism when discussing the Book of Mormon doctrine, one would be well advised to avoid using this term comprehensively. So, by now, it may be clear that even though Mormon doctrine may be compared and contrasted to a dozen historic Christian terms, a precise theological term for the Mormon doctrine of deity is still not apparent. So, one solution might be to adopt B.H. Roberts' phrase, the Mormon doctrine of deity. But this is so vague as to be utterly useless. And another solution might be to combine historical theological terms to define the Mormon doctrine of deity as a development from a homoousian, modelistic, monarchian form of monotheism to homoousian, tritheistic, henotheism. <laughs> but this much jargon is too ludicrous, even for a freshman theology student. Yeah, he's got that point right. Well, perhaps there is some solace in this unfruitful quest for a precise definition. For should we ever succeed in producing the technical terminology to define the Mormon doctrine of deity, we might succumb to the long-resisted temptation to produce our own Mormon creed, thus stifling the open-ended nature of revelation and suppressing the possibility of acquiring new insight in the future. So that is a remarkable candid look at how because of the variegated concepts of God within Mormonism and within the Mormon scriptures, the impossibility of making a crisp, clean, clear definition just does not appear to be on the horizon. So, this gives us a basic introduction to these BYP podcasts. Uh, a moniker we could call them is the BIP podcasts. BYP is Backyard Professor, and it's a BIP. So, you are going to get bipped in these podcasts with lots of interesting information on the Mormon doctrine of, of deity, the Mormon history, the Mormon analysis, and the Mormon scriptural uh, complications. There are great complications. So, that was basically how I wanted to introduce this series to let you know that these are going to deal with the troublesome aspects of the book of the, well, the book of scriptures within Mormonism, as well as the prophetic pronouncements of God, as well as the historical and philosophical. So, thank you for joining me on the BYP podcasts, this new series. I will catch you in the next podcast, which will be number two, where I continue an analysis of the Mormon view of God.